Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. After the Apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Season 2, Episode 5, Forage. Janet braced herself against the doorway of an old brick mill building. She had worked her way through the back streets and vacant lots of the river's edge, from this vantage point downriver, she could see the bridge and the river foaming around it. She held her breath as a shuttle bus punched into the water and bounced unsteadily across the span. Janet uttered a small prayer as the men in the Humvees arrived and started firing at the bus from the bridgehead. Adrenaline mixed with fear and anger as she searched her mind for any action she could take to help them. She had to help. But what could she do? Throw rocks at them? She seethed at her impotence. She was on the verge of running towards them with the hope of creating a distraction when the nearest abutment broke free and slid slowly into the raging flow. Half the bridge deck slumped into the river. It swung downstream like the closing jaws of some metal beast. The road disappeared underneath the first Humvee as the river tore it away. The truck tumbled into the river. To her relief, the shuttle bus was stuck safely out on the far span, but the relief was short-lived. She stood there, helpless, as her people fled from the bus like it was a sinking ship. They groped their way across a slippery deck towards the far shore. There was gunfire. A woman slumped lifeless to the deck and was swept over the edge. One of the kids got pulled over with her into the torrent. Bill leapt into the raging river after the boy. This all happened too fast for her to fully comprehend. There wasn't anything she could do to help. She had enough of this day. She'd had enough of the king and his men. The bridge was gone. She would have to find another way across. The old man leaned back in his chair and listened to Mag's talk. She was giving a summary assessment of their situation and, in a matter-of-fact way, laying out what needed to be done. She's good at this, he thought. Our first priority should be security, she began. Well, there's a pretty good fence, Brad said, trying to be helpful. Mag shook her head. That chain-link fence might keep rabbits out, but it's not much protection for people. The school is solid enough and has good lines of sight, but there are too many ways in, too many ground-level windows. She held her hands up in frustration. If I had even an understrength rifle company... Hell, even a dozen men. To put on the roof, we could hold off an army. She sighed and continued. 
but we're going to have to make do while we look for a more permanent solution. She paused to look at the old man. We need someone to do a circuit of the perimeter, maybe at a mile or so. She was saying, identify and map significant structures, the topography of the land, and all viable access points. The old man gave a nod of acknowledgement. He would appreciate some solo time and an opportunity to stretch his legs. He noticed the way she said we instead of I. It was a nice touch of management empathy. I'll do it, he said. Need to get some air anyhow. She turned to Brad. I need someone to do the same thing inside the school complex, and it would be very helpful if we could find the keys. Maybe check the administration areas and the janitor's office. Brad didn't say anything, so the old man chimed sarcastically. Brad, your mission, if you choose to accept it. Brad looked confused. The old man prompted, You know, Mission Impossible? Oh, yeah. Brad brightened. Tom Cruise. What? The old man replied. No, Peter Graves and Martin Landau. What? Brad replied. What? The old man countered. Jesus, you two, just get going. Mags broke in. Take note of anything potentially useful and be sure to check back in here before it gets dark, sooner if you can. Bella and I are going to work on improving the living conditions here. The old man stretched a little in the morning sun. He was achy from the previous day's chaos at the bridge. His head was muddy. He felt chewed up. The sun felt good on his face. The storm had dragged a patch of bright, clean, dry air behind it as it passed. He breathed in deeply, filling his lungs, and reached his hands up over his head, enjoying the warmth of the sun and the clearness of the morning. He didn't want to get ahead of himself, but it might be a good day. If the apocalypse had taught him anything, it was that things could go from good to bad in a heartbeat. The old man thought of an old story from the ancient Persians. A great king had asked his wise man to invent a sentence that would be true in all situations. The wise man returned with the phrase, This too shall pass, and thus enshrined the ephemeral nature of existence. The raging storm had passed and brought a sunny calm. He would do well to enjoy it because, just like all things good and bad, it too would pass. An image of the stone legs of Ozymandias, the king of kings, alone and forgotten in the desert, fitted through his mind. He shook his head. What kind of maudlin idiot quotes Shelley in the apocalypse? Stop daydreaming and get on with the work. He sighed heavily and began to jog out of the parking lot and up the entry road, headed out of the school grounds. He'd have to be careful not to daydream too much. This apocalypse continued to be a dangerous place. He had gotten used to Bill's early warning radar to see around corners. Now he'd have to watch out for himself. He felt a sharp pang of grief, like tearing the scab off a fresh wound. God damn dog! He stopped at the entry to the school with its landscaped letterboard sign announcing a Friday night football game that probably never happened. He looked back at the low brick structure and breathed deeply. It felt good to breathe. 
the winter air, clean and dry in the wake of the storm, the low sun in the cloudless sky. It felt like life. Brad was right. The grounds of the school were surrounded by a high chain-link fence, and they could block the main entry with a vehicle to keep people out. But wouldn't that make it look like someone was hiding in there? He made a mental note to talk to Mags about it. He often wondered why schools looked so much like prisons, institutional brick and cement monoliths with high fences. He suspected it was not entirely unintentional or inappropriate. He turned right out of the gate and proceeded to run a clockwise circuit around the periphery of the fence. Empty lawns and neat but older neighborhoods clustered around the school. There was nothing much to see. The occasional pile of trash or abandoned car. Some of the houses were burned and he could smell the charred chemical smells of wet burned things. Many had doors that were broken or open. They looked like they had been looted. There was trash everywhere, and the yards were overgrown with weeds. But he saw no signs of life, no people. If they were going to stay here, they'd have to go through all these houses and make sure it was safe. As he made the last turn around the outside loop, he came upon a gas station with a convenience store. This was one of those fancy new ones with a dozen pumps and a fast food-like setup. The kids probably sneaked out to buy candy and pop here, he thought. Or cigarettes and beer, more likely, he smiled. The pumps wouldn't work without power, but he supposed with the right tools, they could get to the underground tank if they needed gas. The gas was down there. There were probably plenty of survivors in this new world, figuring out the best way to get gas out of underground tanks. The front door of the convenience store was smashed and twisted. There was a lot of trash spread around. Someone had been through here, but not recently. He could tell by the way the trash lay rain-soaked and plastered to the ground that no one had been here since before the storm. Out of a sense of caution, he unslung his crossbow anyhow. Before he could catch himself, he looked around for Bill. Goddamn dog! He thought again. The broken door scraped open, and he stepped into the store. It was a mess. It looked like a tornado had passed through. It smelled wet and foul. There was a noise from behind the counter. The old man dropped to one knee and sighted the crossbow at the register. Hey, show yourself! There was a flash of black and white fur as a large raccoon ran out from behind the counter and charged towards the door. The old man's heart jumped. He lost his balance and he fell backward, unleashing a bolt into the ceiling. Jesus! He swore and brushed himself off. Goddamn wildlife! After he had retrieved his arrow from the now critically wounded ceiling tile, he rummaged through the trash. He managed to find some beef jerky, a couple bags of nuts, and some candy bars. He pictured the brightening of the kids' faces when he showed up with a box of candy bars. Adjusting his pack, he paused at the door and grabbed a couple copies of the local travel map. That would come in useful. It had the layout of the surrounding areas. Always helpful to know where you are in the world. The old man felt better now as he left the store and headed back to the school. 
The sun, fresh air, and exercise had refreshed him. Using his strong legs and feeling his animal body calmed his mind and reminded him that as long as he had life, he had usefulness. He could take care of himself. He could help. He wiped some sweat from his eyebrows and spit. Nothing like a little positive blood flow to ease your worries, he concluded. But then he thought somberly that this too would pass. Brad made his way down the corridors of the school, past rows of silent lockers, no doubt filled with teenage love letters and posters of pop stars. He remembered his own time in a similar school across town, when the halls were filled with student life, football players chatting up cheerleaders, nerds trying to avoid eye contact on their way to chess club. He had been a nondescript kid and a mediocre student. He had a couple buddies but he was more part of the backdrop, more part of the scenery than an actual member of student life. Brad wasn't designed for the apocalypse. He still didn't know what he was designed for, but it wasn't this apocalypse. After he made it through high school, he had enrolled in the local college to study business. He made it six months before he dropped out, partly because he needed a break to figure things out, partly because he flunked managerial accounting. That was another story. His dad wanted him to get a business degree, and since Brad didn't know what he wanted to do, he followed the track that was laid in front of him like a donkey tethered to a mill wheel. It wasn't that he couldn't do the coursework. It was that he didn't particularly care about the outcome. That existential apathy led to procrastination and bad decisions, which, in combination with a feverishly self-important professor, led to a point of failure. So he decided to stop, regather himself, search for some energy and momentum. They had quite a row when he got home, his dad lecturing about how he was wasting money an advantage that he would have killed for when he was Brad's age, working two jobs, 20 hours a day, two young kids. Blah, blah, blah. Brad had heard it all before. And Mom, playing her part, chiming in with, He's only 19 years old, Brad. His father was Brad Sr. Give him some space. Kids are different nowadays. You're not going to solve anything by yelling. In the end, it was decided that this time off was a good thing for Brad Jr., but this would not be a year of backpacking in the Pyrenees, sipping cappuccinos and nibbling croissants. Nor was Brad to lay about, sleeping in and twiddling video games. The boy had to learn about real life and work. According to his father, he'd been coddled too long. Brad Sr. knew a few guys— Brad Sr. would find him a job. Brad Jr. would get up early, grab his lunch bag from his mom, and work with his hands and learn what work was. Then they'd talk again about college. And so Brad Jr. found himself working the second shift in distribution center number two of the Vitafine Pharmaceutical Company. And he loved it. He didn't have to think too much. He just showed up at noon, punched in, and did what they told him to. 
He was a quick study and soon was a valued cog in a vitafine wheel. Bradley Jr. wished he could have thanked his dad. This was exactly the perspective he needed. He felt like he had found his place, not a leader, not a striver, but a useful and productive part of a system, part of a cadence, part of a team. He felt the self-worth of working hard and fitting in and making a difference in small ways, the pride of being part of something, the paycheck every two weeks, dropping into an ever-expanding bank account, seemed like a fortune to a 20-year-old. He made the amazing discovery that there was a place in this world for the unremarkable and unambitious in this world when they were part of a team. He wished he could have told his dad. He had wanted to thank him. He tried to get up from his bed to go to him that day. He could hear his dad choking in blood and mucus and tried to get up to go to him, but he didn't make it. He woke up later in a stain of his own blood and mucus on the carpet of their 70s ranch house. Somehow, his immune system had fought the battle with the virus to the edge of life and turned the tide. Somehow, he had survived it when so much of the world didn't. When Brad had regained enough energy, he buried his mom and dad lovingly in the backyard, and only then could he thank his dad for the job and everything else. Brad came back to the present. He had walked the halls in the main administrative area. There was a long counter stacked with disheveled paperwork. There were desks with computers and printers. There were chairs and tables with textbooks and more stacks of paper. Some of the chairs were knocked over and a great deal of paper had been knocked to the floor. He sifted through the desk in the principal's office but found nothing of value. He hefted an old autographed baseball bat out of its display stand with curiosity and looked around. Where would they put the keys? Through the office window, he saw a locked sheet metal cabinet behind the admin counter, and he knew that's where the keys were. They had a similar cabinet in the dispatch office in the distribution center where he worked, where they kept the keys to the trucks he drove. Brad went to the cabinet and tugged on the handle but it was locked. No matter, he thought. It's not a safe, just a cheap cabinet. He whacked at the cabinet with a souvenir baseball bat until it came off the wall. Then he was able to pry one corner of the cabinet up with a combination of his hands and a handy letter opener. He could hear the keys inside. He held the box up and shook it. The keys cascaded out onto the floor like a jackpot from a slot machine. Brad delightedly stuffed the jangling rings of keys into his jacket pockets. Mags was going to be so pleased. Brad continued to explore the school, and it was now in an area that was some sort of machine shop. Not a real machine shop. A shop for the kids to make lamps, picture frames, and ashtrays out of wood and metal fragments. Some sort of mandatory technical training left over from the 60s probably more useful than managerial accounting, he thought. He noted the array of tools and equipment here. This would be another thing to report back. This stuff could be useful. It smelled strange in here. There was a tang of oil in the musk of cut wood. But there was also a greasy smell that made him uneasy. As he pushed into the back office, 
he saw the now familiar form of a prostrate corpse on the cement floor, haloed in its pool of dried juices. Brad put his hand to his mouth, but kept moving. He remembered the conversation with Mags in the cafeteria. It couldn't hurt him. It was just a body. The man had been wearing old denim overalls and a work shirt. One arm was outstretched in front, revealing mummified skin on a skeletal hand. A pint bottle of rye whiskey lay just outside its grass, next to a big ring of keys. The final solace of a dying man. Brad used a screwdriver to pry the key ring up off the floor where it was stuck in the dried bodily fluids. They came free with a sucking sound. Brad suppressed a gag and unclipped the big red ring from the corpse. Great work, Brad, Mag said with a smile, looking at the pile of keys. Next, we'll have to figure out which keys go with which doors. We can see what those locked doors are hiding and which ones would make a good hiding place. She looked at the old man. What did you find? I ran the periphery of the complex, probably a four to five mile loop. Everything's quiet. Looks like it's been looted, but no evidence of activity in the past couple days. Mostly houses and a gas station. I saw a bunch of portageons out by the fields if you want to drag them over here for temporary latrines. And I got these. The old man spread the map books out on the table, and they all leaned in to look where one was flipped open. We're here, he pointed, and here's the river. I was trying to see if there were any other bridges close by. No, the nearest bridge is 30 miles down in Jubal, Brad chimed in. They looked at him. I grew up here, he shrugged. Mags leaned back and thought, I think we can stay here for a while. We've got food and water, at least until we figure out what to do. She continued, to be safe, I want you two to scout up and down the side of the river for a couple of miles tomorrow. See what you can see. I'm still worried about those guys on our flank. Brad pulled the map closer and pointed. My folks' house is here. He looked up. They're dead. Mags made eye contact as if assessing him. And I worked over here. He pointed to an area of large buildings laid out in ranks split by a rail line with two big highways running near it. What is that? Mags asked. That's an inland port complex. All these are distribution centers, he brightened. I bet there's a lot of stuff we could use there. Mags considered it. Okay, after we scout the river, we'll plan to head over there and check that out. Looks like seven to eight miles from here as the crow flies. The old man watched these two engrossed in their planning. A child coughed in the background, and Bella murmured something consoling. It felt almost like a family gathering. What was this strange force that pulled humans together into ad hoc tribes? Some internal flame drove them to keep going, to find a new normal for some ridiculous reason to strive for a better future. He didn't get it. Humans were irrational, but this whole situation was irrational. He'd let it go for now. He'd see where it led. I'm going to get some sleep, he said. We'll head out in the morning, Brad. The old man rose and shambled across to the bleachers. He pulled the box of candy bars out and handed it to Bella with a sheepish grin. 
and watched as the children became alert like puppies at feeding time, and their eyes went wide, tracking the box. For the kids, he shrugged. And with that, he turned to find a place to sleep. A chance to sleep. A chance for fitful peace at the end of one more day in the apocalypse. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, my survivor friends. This is Chris, your cruise director in the apocalypse. And don't miss the shuffleboard tournament on the afterdeck, followed by a margarita-making lesson at the Halloween bar on the Lido deck. What? You don't think there will be cruise ships in the apocalypse? I don't know. I think that would probably be a pretty good story right there. I might write that story. I had to Google it, but there actually was a Walking Dead-themed cruise in 2017, before our current apocalypse. And right now, there are plenty of Halloween-themed cruises going on. So if you're into that sort of thing, I never was. Never was much of a cruising aficionado. How are we doing this fine week? For those of you who are keeping up, it is the weekend of Halloween 2021, when you will get this episode drop. And for those of you still catching up, it was Halloween 2021, and this was Episode 5 of Season 2 of After the Apocalypse. And for the future society that worships us as the Word of God, and this is your holy text, well, hello, and I'm terribly sorry. We are coming up on one year into our journey with the podcast version of After the Apocalypse. It's still fun for me. I'm still planning to do five seasons. I'm still committed to drop an episode every two weeks, typically on a Friday, Saturday, maybe even Sunday, at the latest, depending on life <laughs> and how the production schedule goes. You see, I still have this full-time job that sucks up a lot of my time. But, you know, we do what we can do. We all do what we can do to survive in the apocalypse, right? We're about to crack 33,000 downloads and are growing at about 2,000 downloads a week. 
That's pretty good, but we can always use your help, survivors. I'm looking into testing some advertising, maybe. If anybody is a, an expert on that, you can reach out to me and give me some tips. But for now, we are bootstrapped. And we need your word of mouth to spread the, well, the word. So do us a favor and forward the show link to your friends. You can do it right now. I appreciate the help. Should be a share button on whatever app you're using to listen. And interestingly to me, bootstrap, as a verb, started being used in the 1800s to refer to someone helping themselves. The bootstrap is that tab or the loop that sticks out the top of the back of your boots or your shoes so that you can pull them on. And you can see how this saying caught on. It's whimsical. Look at that image of someone pulling themselves up by their own bootstrap, i.e., it's physically impossible, but by defying logic and physics, they do it anyhow. And then this phrase, it bled over into the computer software world, where bootstrapping referred to building off the operating system kernel and booting came to be a common word meaning loading the operating system. So grab a hold and help me bootstrap the podcast by telling your friends. Over on the Facebook group, I've been sharing cover designs for the season one book version. I appreciate the help because I am terrible at making decisions. And I wanted to thank Joe for helping me with some of the army base building stuff in this episode. And I wanted to thank Jeff for spending some time on the phone with me and giving me some tips on publishing. He gave me an idea for releasing the Season 1 manuscript as an Amazon Vela serial. And I have not done that before, so it might be a good learning opportunity for me and allow me to get some more traction while I build up the series. So you may have heard an Easter egg in this episode where I named a town in Tennessee Jubal. Jubal, Tennessee. There is no such town. This is a nod to the character of Jubal in the Heinlein book I'm still reading. I haven't finished it. I'm close. Frankly, I've lost interest. It's more social commentary than science fiction, and I would walk away if I hadn't committed to it. But I'll share some final thoughts when I'm actually done. So my friends, my survivor friends, I'll keep the comments brief this week. Let me know if you need anything. I'm always looking for comments, suggestions, ideas. We're a tribe. We can help each other. Let me know if there's anything I can do for you. And you can reach me through the Facebook group or directly at cyktrussell at gmail.com. That is Chris, Yellow, King, Tom, Russell with two S's and two L's at gmail.com. And we can always use your support to keep the show going at our Patreon page. Keep your heads down, keep your powder dry, and keep surviving. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.